time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of The Right Conversations. Today, we are having a conversation about living with an eating disorder with August McLaughlin. I'm so, so thrilled to have this conversation today. This is a topic that so many of you have asked for, and I'm, I feel very uh, grateful to be able to talk about this today. So August, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Tell the people who you are, what you do, what lights you up. Yeah. So I'm a health and sexuality writer and very passionate about the sexuality space. Uh, my podcast is called Girl Boner Radio, and it's full of true stories. And when I've thought back on my career path, it kind of seems like it's gone all over the place. But I realized that the through line is really stories. Like I love storytelling. I love helping people share their own stories. I think they're really meaningful. They've been meaningful in my life. Um, and I love animals. If I seem a little sleep deprived, it's because I've been caring for a sick parrot, but Aww. she's having a good day. So that's good. <laughs> and that's me. That's amazing. That's amazing. So tell us your relationship to our topic today. Yeah. So my eating disorder history started like the roots of it when I was very, very small, which is sadly very common, whether you developed a full-fledged eating disorder or not. So many of us, especially those of us reared as girls, have body image issues and these feelings about our bodies when we're so young. So I do remember being, you know, kindergarten age and having these thoughts about not wanting to kneel down in class because of how my legs would look. And I mean, it, it hurts my heart to to just say that and think about it yeah. now. Um, but yeah, so I had what you sadly would be considered somewhat quote unquote, normal dissatisfaction in this world that we live in for a long time. And I didn't have any sort of disordered eating habits until I would say mm, adolescence into my teen years and a lot of things okay. were happening at that time. One was that years later, I would find out that I have an ADHD brain and the two go together a lot. Um, it's, it's not uncommon, but that mixed with hormone changes and changing bodies and all these things were going on a all lot. at once. It really is a lot. Yeah. It's so much. And so when I was in high school, I was really involved in theater. And I remember the director saying something to me about, oh, you could be a model. And it shocked me because I had this body dysmorphia, essentially, mm -hmm. where I didn't see what other folks saw. And 
it also excited me because I thought, oh, maybe there's this one special thing that I could do. And I was really excited about it, but timid and didn't believe in myself. And I ended up getting involved in some modeling in Minnesota. So, I mean, it's like parkas and stuff. It wasn't like very fancy. I grew up in uh, the suburbs around the Twin Cities and uh, loved it. I loved modeling. It was like my escape from mm. my own self. Mm. It felt like acting without words and memorizing lines was really hard for me. So it was kind of perfect. And I ended up modeling in New York and Paris and had this like incredible experience of traveling and doing all these wonderful things with some really incredible artists. And at the same time, my eating disorder, as you can imagine, and the feelings I had about my body, they don't really get helped very much by being in the high fashion world. Yeah. So I was living in Paris when I was diagnosed initially with anorexia. I collapsed while I was on a run and oh, yeah, it was pretty intense. That's, that was the beginning of it. So, and again, tell me if any of my questions you would rather not answer. Um, because I know we're talking about something deeply personal and I want to name that and just thank you for, for talking about this. Um, how did you go now looking back, how did you go from kind of this, uh, dysmorphia turned into the food restriction and winding up then being so frail that you fell and passed out? That's such an important question. Um, I don't know that I would have gotten so deep into the behaviors if I hadn't had a comment from a photographer who had flown in from Los Angeles. Prior to that, I had started to think that maybe this was all in my head, these thoughts I had about mm -hmm. my body, because my agent didn't say anything about it. It was kind of surprising to me. And I thought, well, maybe this is my, this is my way out of feeling this way and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And this photographer came in from Los Angeles. I was nervous and excited. And we had this amazing day of shooting. And at the very end, he looked at me like straight in the eyes and said, if you lose X number of pounds, you could be modeling in Paris. And in that moment, I had so many feelings. It was like, first of all, devastation and heartbreak. I was right is what I thought. It's, I wasn't, but I, I thought I was right mm -hmm. <laughs> about you're like body. this one person out of all of these people said the thing that validates what I thought. So therefore it must be true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That was yeah. exactly it. And it also lit such a fire under me because suddenly I'm like, oh, now I have a real legit reason. Before that, mm -hmm. it was a secret that I wanted to mm -hmm. change my body. I kind of had this feeling like, oh, it's not, quote, right. It's not a healthy thing. I sensed that it wasn't a good thing for me to like diet. And so I would have these attempts, but they lasted like five minutes because I love food. I've always loved food. And so it just never, nothing ever went, went very far. But when he said that, I was just like, that is my mission. And he was, he was right in a way in that I, I lost some weight and I did end up in Paris, but it didn't go as I don't, as I'm sure he planned either. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I was a teenager and this is a, a grown adult saying something like that. So it took me a while to have anger around that because at the time it just felt mm. like facts. You're like, yeah, factual career advice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And of course, that then became the validation. That was all you needed to then yes. do it. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I, and I thought I was being so healthy because one of the really hard things about eating disorders is you get so much praise because our culture is so fixated on losing weight and exercising and eating quote unquote healthy. So when I was eating vegetables and when I was going to the gym before school, you know, I started working with a trainer. Friend's dad was a trainer. And he, another grown adult, sold me these diet shakes and these pills and stuff. And so, um, yeah, wow. it's the whole system's right there if you're vulnerable to it. And that's that's how I would say the disordered actual eating started. And then yeah. it just, no one kept telling me to lose more weight. But with that, when you have that eating disorder in your head, the finish line always moves. Right. And so I just five more pounds or two more pounds or whatever it was. It just became, it went from, it, it felt like when you're falling in love with a toxic person, like a, an mm. abusive person mm -hmm. and everything is sparkly and everyone's like, wow, you look amazing and you're working so hard and this is great. And I started, you know, I got attention from Wilhelmina Models, which is like one of the top agencies in the world. And these yeah. things were happening. And then it became a monster like the monster no one else could really see where I was dreaming about food and I was tortured by this 24 seven plus it, it is such a nightmare. Um, and I don't think that a lot of folks who don't deal with an eating disorder realize how painful it is because there is, this is a sad word to use, but there's a little bit of almost glamor around restrictive eating. Mm -hmm. And so I've had people even say to me, I wish I had your discipline right after I told them that I went through anorexia, which uh, by the way, has a very high mortality rate. Um, yeah, it's, very. It's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing up this, um, the idea around commenting on someone else's habits, body. Um, a lot of times, especially with older generations, I think we're getting better as you kind of look younger and younger. Um, but there is this default of like, oh, you've lost so much weight. You look amazing. And while it comes from this very like positive, uh, encouraging place, it does so much damage to so many people. And it's just one more reason on a very long list of other reasons to just don't like yeah. we don't need to be commenting on each other's bodies we just don't and true. you know it, in both ways right it's like it's really can be harmful to to say something like that and it can also be harmful to assume that someone gaining weight is unhealthy yes. because if someone is in recovery or if someone is actually happy and maybe they overcame depression and so they're eating and they're putting on weight that's something that they're probably celebrating and most likely having a hard time celebrating because of our fat phobic culture and because of exactly what you were saying about the praise that so many of us get when there is weight loss that it doesn't reinforce the thing that you think you're reinforcing and it's a very very dangerous thing there. So how did you handle that? Like once you knew that you had anorexia and 
did you start setting boundaries with people? Were you like educating? Like it's such a burden on, on you oh. to have to do that. No one has ever said that to me. That's really lovely to hear that you see the the burdensome nature of carrying that because you are, you're caring for people who worry about you, which was really hard for me. Um, first of all, and this is probably pretty common. I didn't believe the doctors because yeah. I didn't see it. I mean, I literally, I knew that I was quote unquote messed up around food. I knew I had some quote issues, <laughs> but there was no, I was like, first of all, you think anorexia is never eating. I was eating, you know, mm. it wasn't like I was never eating. Like, um, I had a grape today. Thank right. you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I, yeah. I did so many things that I thought made it impossible. Besides the fact that as anorexia gets worse, you physiologically go into a state of mad madness, I would say. You don't have the brain chemistry in a place that can be, you know, where you can have healthy, rational thinking, even if you didn't have the eating disorder. So I would see myself in the mirror and I didn't know it was me. I mean, I remember seeing legs and I was like, weird, we have a bruise on the same place. <laughs> you know, I, that is how extreme wow. it was for a while. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so when I was diagnosed, I thought, oh, these French doctors, like, what do they know? I'm very lucky that I was in Paris because there's incredible healthcare. And uh, I don't, it's so foggy, the whole, I don't even remember getting from the ground to this medical center. I just, it was very, like on a TV show where they show like the bright lights and someone's like their view of looking at lights. That's mostly what I remember about going there. And then once I was diagnosed and they said that word, I was so confused. And the thing that hit me more though was you could have died, you could die. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, even if they're wrong about this whole anorexia thing, I do kind of feel like that could be true. And I have a really loving family and I thought a lot about them, a lot about them worrying and losing me potentially. And so that doctor gave me a choice and actually they even had a doctor visit me, which was wild at my flat. Um, and I was told I could go into this treatment center there or I could go home to Minnesota. Um, and I don't know, this was really even legal, but they said that they would call my parents if I didn't do one of those two things. And I think it was pure just worry at that point. And so I was very scared of that. I was scared. I wanted to keep this a secret, figure this out on my own and like have two months of treatment and then get back to my job. That's what I thought I would do, which looking back, it's like, that's, it was just the tip of the iceberg, but it was good that I went back to Minnesota and my parents did end up finding out about it because a bill or something from insurance went to their house for me. Uh, and that was hard because, again, I wanted them to not worry. So I'm like, I have a great yeah. therapist and I'm reading this great book and maybe you could read this great book. <laughs> um, but oh. uh, I was really I was really struggling with it and uh, and lying to my therapist about certain things. I was not. It's so hard when you're not ready to heal. It's like, I want to feel better without letting go of any of this. And that is impossible to do. So what did recovery look like for you? It actually started in a college classroom of all places. 
I'd been going to therapy and this like day program with a dietitian, et cetera, et cetera. They thought I was making progress. Emotionally, I was worse off than I'd ever been. So it didn't feel like it was really helping. And I was in this class. I was taking classes because I was in a small town in Minnesota and I was like bored. And so I took this psychology of women course. And one day the teacher said, we're going to talk about sex today. And I was shocked because I realized I had never talked about sex. And I'm like looking around, wondering if everyone else is in shock. And then I started to realize as she was talking that I had shame. Like Mm -hmm. my sexuality was this secret hush thing. I'd been having sex. I'd had one partner who I was at the time staying with. And so I'd had sex, but I never really talked about sex. It was like, you're never supposed to talk about it. And -hmm. what that did was it gave me some anger, some really healthy anger. I started to realize, oh, there's a whole lot of stuff around this. I learned that my body is like basically not valuable, especially around the pelvis. And and now I know the brain. But at the time I was thinking like, you know, basically I had been... I felt like someone had withheld from me all of this really empowering, helpful information, which, which well, they had. They did. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> they really had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was the start of, I got really, really excited about talking about sex and I didn't go into anything professionally with it at the time, but I just, I really wanted to talk about it and I wanted to figure this out. And I started, it it took a while for me to realize that that was the moment, but it really was the moment I wanted to, I didn't want to brutalize my body anymore. Like it was the moment. And without that moment, I don't know if I would still be here. Wow. Wow. If you experience recurrent BV or yeast infections or struggle with vaginal symptoms like odor, discharge, pain with sex, or more, you are not alone, and you should totally test your vaginal microbiome with Evie. Evie has developed the world's first at-home vaginal microbiome test and screens for more than 700 bacteria and fungi with a single swab, including those related to symptoms and infections. Evie also offers free one-on-one vaginal health coaching and innovative prescription treatment programs developed just for you by a provider. You can order your vaginal health test today at evy.com. That's E-V-V-Y.com. And use code Rachel10 for $10 off your first test. Okay, so I would love for you to speak on anything you want to. What it was like to build this sex life as an adult that was learning all of these things while also fighting against this eating disorder because Mm -hmm. I know for most people eating disorder or not sex can bring up a lot of body stuff and so I can imagine and you can tell me if this is off in any way that this was extra for you um Mm -hmm. and probably quite confusing and like do you tell the person do you not do you just kind of stay in your head like what what was that like for you? Mm. Yeah, before my kind of light bulb moment that I just mentioned, the light bulb epiphany of, oh my gosh, sex is important and I want to learn about it. Before that, <laughs> yeah. I had a really hard time 
really, really, really hard time with sex. In some ways, when I could get to the actual pleasure of sex, it was very medicinal. But mm. as the eating disorder was increasing and becoming more debilitating, there were so many things. Like I could not have sex with the lights on at all. I was so petrified of my partner seeing me at all. Um, and at the same time, I craved this escape that I only had experienced through, there's nothing like orgasm to get you out of your head. But mm -hmm. to get there, I mean, it's ironic because when I was modeling, like in New York, for example, essentially, I'm, they say sex sells, like you're seducing the camera. It's like such a, it's such a sex like driven business in many ways. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any libido at that point. I mean, just it kind of puts you back into like a prepubescent physicality in, in many ways. There's yeah. no energy for sex in that state. Um, I would fall asleep. I probably, I think I fell asleep during sex at one point. Like it just, you're so exhausted. Right. Um, now the eating disorder changed as it often does. And we don't hear as much about this because there's a lot of shame around binge eating. But I went through very extreme binge eating where I would go into mm. these like trance-like states. And um, that brought a whole other thing where my body started to function a little better because it was getting nutrients. But the shame around my body was really intense at that time too. Um, and so there, there were times when I could get to a place where I really just wanted to have, have sex and I would feel, but it was all, it was never in the restrictive state. Like for me, restriction meant all pleasures were off the table. That's just kind of the way it was. Yeah. And I had shame around that too. You know, I had a partner who I thought I was failing. Mm. Mm. That's so much to hold. Yeah. So can you share where you are now with your eating disorder? And, you know, for anybody listening, you'll often hear me use phrases like in recovery from. And I think that there's a lot of um, like, oh, they're all better. And, you know, similar to most mental illness, mental health issues for lack of a better word, um, we're never, not never, sometimes, but like it's very rare that it's like, it's just gone. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not a part of me anymore, you know? And like, of course, there are some things that that can be, you know, phobias we could do that with, certain anxieties we can do that with. Um, but anything that's like, you know, restrictive, compulsive, um, it's more of an in recovery thing. And so I, I want to know what that looks like for you now and, and how you kind of manage that today. Really appreciate that question and your thoughtfulness around that term, like in recovery versus recovered and all of that. Um, and it's been an interesting thing for me to learn about because I don't, I don't really consider myself in recovery. My doctor has put remission on my mm -hmm. Um, files in the past, which is fine with me just because it's like something I could be vulnerable to at some point. I think right. that's a very fair thing. And I appreciate that. Um, and for years, so this was like, I was diagnosed first at 18. I struggled with this in my early 20s. I'm in my mid 40s. So it's taken a lot of time. But between between like 20 and 30, I definitely was, yeah, early 20s to 30, I, I would say I was more in recovery where I thought it was kind of really past me, but I still was still was struggling. One thing that's 
somewhat unique about my experience, although not for those who relate to it, of course, is that ADHD played an incredibly profound role in my eating disorder. So once I was diagnosed with it at 30 um, and started to both started uh, treatment, like medication is very helpful for me. And then I'd already learned a lot of life skills because you have to, to, to manage a brain that's more neurodivergent. Um, mm -hmm. But I learned more and more and I, I don't think I would have had the eating disorder or at least definitely not as severely if I had understood my brain better sooner. So that, and then also another thing that helped me so much was starting to uh, pursue self-pleasure. I also masturbated for the first time around age 30. And wow. it, yeah, it was so incredible because I realized that I had really identified as like sexuality for me is based on another person. So I had this huge just growth in my around age 30 with brain understanding and all these things. So I really, the only times that something comes up for me now, it's not so much disordered eating or like wanting to lose weight or, or things like that. It's more, I can, like, for example, earlier this year, I don't know if you've heard about the shortage of ADHD medications. But this year, there's been this huge shortage. And um, I, yeah, for a while... it's been terrible. Yes, it's been so awful. And uh, for for months, I was on a, a medication that wasn't helping me very much. And I could see right away, like, it affected the way I saw myself to, mm -hmm. not, to not be able to have that support that I'd had. So then I had to be more conscientious and careful about it. So I know that that can be there, like the, the lens... And then it's also interesting because I'm like, well, maybe it's also just, I'll think, oh, wow. And this is, when I say these things, I know that these are cultural messaging. I, I don't, I actually think aging is beautiful. And I think bodies of all sizes are beautiful. Um, but this dysmorphic brain that you have, if you have that, <laughs> um, can, can translate that. And so I will see other people's aging as beautiful. And then I will see something in a photo of me that is like, fills me with dread and makes me feel like a bad person because I think I have this like old witch's face. And I, it's hard no. for me to say that just because I don't actually, be, I don't believe that that's a thing. I don't, other, I don't yeah. think anyone else in the world, I love, I think it's so beautiful when I see like wrinkles and I see gray hair and all of that, but I will have a moment where I just, and it takes me back to being 12 years old and hating myself. And I, it makes me very angry and it hurts and it feels so real. And then I'm also like, I might actually be seeing myself in an accurate way. I'm almost 45. The mm. world might also see me that way. And that part I'm like, well, I have to just, I actually don't care as much about that in an interesting way. Cause I, maybe because of this work I've done, I'm kind of like, like the other night I had barely slept, uh, had a stressful thing happen. And I made a video and I was like, oh, I'm really pale and I'm blank, 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 blank. And I look blah, 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 blah. And I thought that is an important reason to put this on social media, that alone, without yep. an apology. This yep. is who I am right now. I want other people to see that. And so that's been, it has like, a, when there's like a kick of activism and anger, I feel like it, it strengthens me. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, August. I like, I, 
I've been wanting to have another therapist that specializes in eating disorders come on and talk. And I think that that is not a replacement for hearing from someone who has gone through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that this is not like the easiest thing to talk about. And I, I just really appreciate your openness and your willingness to share this. Um, it's so important. And it's something that I believe deeply in, in my work personally, is that the more that we can share about our own lived experiences, the more we can normalize things for people and people can recognize things earlier and not go through maybe as much denial or resistance um, that you or I have with our our respective things. Um, So yeah, so just thank you. It's my pleasure. And I'm so grateful for the chance to share. I feel it actually one of the first times that I had another big boost of healing early was sharing my story. And I didn't expect it to to do so much for me. And not everyone is that way. Some people, mm-hmm. you know, they they do much better keeping things more private. And that's beautiful too. For whatever reason, it helps me. Um, so I appreciate that. And and even though it's it's been some years, every time I have a chance to talk about it, I I just I know there are so many people who can hear themselves and other people's stories. And those moments for me along the way have meant so much. So thank you for creating the the space, not only for eating disorders, but all of it. Like EMDR really helped me. I just listened to your episode about oh, that. Yay. And I loved, I I loved EMDR and the expert you had on was brilliant. Um so yeah, we just never know who's going to hear something. And it's the thing they just happen to need right now. Right. Exactly. And I love that both on the, you know, doing this work side and also on the consumer side. Every once in a while, I'll just open my podcast app and there's like a random episode of something and I'll click on it and it's like, oh, I had no idea I even needed this information. Yeah. And that's so helpful. So yeah. thank you for that reflection. Is there anything that we didn't get to that you want to leave folks with today or make sure that you say? Mm. You know, when I think back on my journey with mental health and all the different kinds of things that have come up, one thing that was a huge factor for me was feeling like I was on this mystery tour, (laughs) like I was trying to figure out this puzzle for so long and I felt so alone and broken and I felt like an alien. And I would just want anyone who is feeling that way to know, regardless of what the specifics are, that none of those things are true. There's no brokenness. You probably have so many people who relate and community support out there. And you don't need to figure everything out today. And also your mystery is valid. Like I tried so hard to tell people like there's something off And I had all these misdiagnoses. um, And when I finally met someone who saw what I was really struggling with, uh, which had to do with just like the way my brain works, it completely changed everything. Um, So I love therapists so much. I mean, it's just so incredible that the work that you do. So um, just just keep going and, and take it a day at a time. Thank you.
Thank you. I will put all of your contact info in the show notes for for anyone listening who wants to to follow, read, reach out, whatever the case may be. But for anyone who is more auditory, can you let folks know where to find you? Yeah. So you can find my podcast, Girl Boner, two words, or Girl Boner Radio, three words, wherever you're listening, or go to either augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. Um, my show has a lot of of mental health themes and it's all guided through true stories. So if that resonates with folks, I'd love them to come and check it out. I have a feeling it will. <laughs> I have a feeling it will. Yay. I, I <laughs> am very happy that I have built a community where I would say the majority um, really love learning through other people's stories. It's part mm-hmm. of why you know, I do these like ask, share, request, kind of like AMAs on Instagram. And some of the most prevalent feedback that I'll get is not even about like my answers, but about what other people have had the courage to write in and ask or share. And for that to then be shared with, you know, tens of thousands of other people that can then see that. And again, just like we were saying, be like, oh, it's not just me or like, oh my God, there's someone out there that literally is going through exactly what I'm going through right now. Like that's fucking wild. And it's like, yeah, yeah that, and, uh, and to be able to, to really see that and not just think about it conceptually, right? Like at home alone being like, there's probably someone out there that also is going, but like to read someone else's words. So I have a feeling that, uh, many, many folks will enjoy, enjoy your show. And I'm excited to dive in myself. Oh, I hope so. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Community is, is everything. And I feel like so many of us, especially those of us who are like very driven in life and wanting to like do well and do impactful things, we can be so overly independent. So that is such a good reminder too, to just reach out and find those people. Like there's so community is just profoundly helpful. Yes. Yes. And you can do it in person. You can do it online. You can, you know, a lot of people will knock like, oh, parasocial relationships aren't real. And, and while to a certain extent, they cannot replace, you know, in-person people that you know in the flesh, um, having an online community is wonderful. And I think is a a wonderful thing to to look for. So yeah, amen. August, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Rachel. This was such a pleasure to to talk with you and for your beautiful folks. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel, and don't forget please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.